When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Welcome to episode 284 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and that's Levon, a.k.a. Barcelev. We're basically doing Transfer Window Part 2, and now it's not just because Miralem Pjanic has been loaned to Besiktas in Turkey, but I want to get Levon's thoughts on all the comings and goings of the Transfer Window. Levon, that sound good to you? Uh, yeah, sounds, sounds good. I mean, there haven't been any comings for more than a month now, but let's do it. <laughs> Yeah, that is very true. That it is more about the outros than the intros. But before we do get to the transfers, now that the YouTube video that I've been plugging for, I think a few weeks now, is finally out there about Ansu Fati getting the number 10. It was all about the number 10 at Barcelona. I do want to get your thoughts on that one. My thoughts are over on the YouTube video. I'll, I'll rehash it here with you. But first, yeah, what do you think? Ansu Fati, number 10 at FC Barcelona. I mean, the moment he got that number, his dad went to the Barca store and bought like eight or nine jerseys for, for his family members. So it's all it's all gravy, man. It's that's nice. It's it's a feel good story. If he wants the number, then he wants it. You know, uh, it's a different thing if the club says no. You need to take it because we need to give some hope to the fans. No, right. they they, are, they offer it to him if he wants it. Cool. It also makes me hopeful that he is actually training okay and that he doesn't have any any discomfort and that he himself is very confident about coming back from the injury. Because if not, you don't take that number. Like that. It's a sign of confidence, right? That's how I'm reading it in himself. Yeah, either in him or also the club has an inkling that his medicals are, again, it was just patience and waiting and waiting and waiting until he could come back 
as close to 100% as possible. I, mm-hmm. I agree with both those points. And yeah, on the other point, yeah, his dad, it's a good story. But, you know, he's already done more in an FC Barcelona shirt than in what I described in the video, a ton of the number 10s had done in Barca history, just the number of the players that have had it. Yes, there's been some who've done some big things. And I, I think at some point, though, you know, I think fans care more about the number itself than the player does. But just because, you know, there was a story about the father being the number 10 at Barcelona does matter. I'm not saying it doesn't mean anything. I'm not saying there's no pressure. It just seems like the fans care a lot more about the merchandise and the player sales because part of the research I do, not to give away anything, but even throughout the mid-90s, you had all those players on the Dream Team. A lot of them, you whether it was Lodrup or Storchkov or Guardiola or Mario, all of those different players wore the number 10 at some point, you know, for a match or two or whatever, because they, they, it wasn't sticking to a number. And it wasn't until the last 20 or so years where because of social media and marketing and, you know, the global reach of, of Jersey sales and yada, 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 that players are, their brand is part of their number. And so those things become very, very connected to one another. So as I said, only the great, great, greats matter in the shirt particularly Argentine or Brazilian playmakers. So Maradona, Romario, you know, and then Raquel May, who, you know, didn't have success at Barcelona, but him wearing 10 meant something, Raquel May, and then Ronaldinho and Messi. But other than that, mm-hmm. I mean, everyone else just kind of wore it. And that's all it was, was the number 10. And it, it matters. But the only thing that scares me a bit, uh, not is about the pressure, but about the fact that Jorge Mendes is his agent and his contract is supposedly up next year with a disputed club renewal option in there. That'll be a debate for later. But now that he has the number 10, Jorge Mendes has a little bit more to say, like, hey, Barca, this is your number 10 we're talking about here. And that's actually the only thing that worries me. The pressure doesn't really bother me. Uh, I, I saw him. I actually have a different angle on that. I see it more as a sign as, hey, you know, not only do we want you to stay, we want you to be our number 10. We don't want you to leave because there's nothing more beautiful than being the number 10 at Barca. Yeah, well, Levon, we gotta have we gotta figure out some kind of sound effect for when you're the one who's more optimistic than I am, or take the positive spin on it. Because I think like ding, 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 ding. Yeah, you took a more optimistic post than I did. Right. Um, no, I, I actually never considered that angle that they're gonna ask for more money because we gave him the ten. I think they're gonna ask for money anyway. I think also that um, more than anything, and maybe I should have said this before the summer. Because I think that I already uh, intuited before the summer, more, more than anything, for me, Laporta's success will be measured by his ability to renew Ansu. Um, mm-hmm. Because I think Pedri, he's going to renew. You just see it in his personality. He, he does not want to be anywhere else. He does not care about having the biggest contract. Uh, he is genuinely like, it's his dream to play here. And he just got here. So he's just realizing this dream. With Anzu, you hope that it is his dream. You think that it is his dream. But, hmm, you know, there is a possibility that an, another club will off, offer him an enormous contract and that unexpectedly uh, we might find ourselves in a situation where it's going to be very difficult to keep him. So... Um, more, more than anything else, more than keeping Messi, even, I think we need to judge Laporta on on renewing Ansel. Um, yeah, I, I really, I, like, yeah, yeah, I think that's exactly right. I, I think we're looking at this transfer window, and you and I are very much on the same page. Just to warn people, you and I are going to be very much on the same page about 
the success or failure of this window, what was possible, what wasn't possible. And I think where we should kind of begin this is probably the only part where you and I might disagree a little bit. And on Monday show, I or Tuesday show, I brought up something about a conspiracy, if you will, about how while Barca in this, and I want to clear it up too, in this moment, Barcelona, there is a 0% chance that they could call Riola and afford Erlen Holland. I obviously there's no way. There's no way you get rid of and offload the players you are because you think that you're going to be in any race for Holland. And especially the numbers that we've seen Erlen Holland be connected to, meaning 50 million euros per year is not something that FC Barcelona is ever going to afford, right? Or 500 million over the course of what was it? A 500 million over the course of a five-year contract or something. I mean, it's just insane, insane, insane numbers. We're talking more than Messi at FC Barcelona, and he wound up just setting his own standard based on his achievements on the field, which Holland obviously can't boast at, at any point at this point, right? And so he can't be asked for that number. So my conspiracy was not that Barca will be able to afford Holland and it's that those numbers that he's being connected to is potentially a ploy for Riola to say, hey, if you want him right now, Man City, PSG, the, the ones that could consider paying those kind of outrageous numbers, if you want him now, come get him. He's yours. And I think it'll be the same thing next summer, that if a team wants to really go above and beyond and pay him that those just, again, astronomical numbers, then they will. But I do think because of Man City going after Kane, because of Man United grabbing Cristiano Ronaldo with what's going on with PSG, I think PSG is the one where, because money doesn't matter, of course, he, Colin could just be a PSG player next summer and I wouldn't think twice about it. But that's why I think Barcelona might have just this much, this tiny much of a leg up in at least the idea that he would want to come to Barca more than other teams if he was willing to find some kind of number. And listen, if you argue to me that, he'll, that he won't find that number, that Barcelona would never be able to financially, even in two years, find a way to get Fati and Holland in the same team, I can totally buy that. I, I just have this inkling that, I mean, but the same thing that Laporta promised Messi that he could stay and that didn't work out. So there might be a Laporta promise out there to Holland that, hey, the numbers that you're saying, maybe you can go for that to a bigger team, but or a team with more money right at the moment. But if you want to go for a lesser number, you could come to Barcelona if that's what you want to be a part of with this project. So I'm saying that there might be a promise out there, but it could be the same promise that was given to Messi that he could stay. Did I walk it back enough for you, Levon? <laughs> yeah, it's just uh, Haaland. Uh, I don't think he's, uh, he's a player for Barcelona. Um, neither his football nor her, nor his personality uh, really uh, suit this club, and we don't have the money, and we're not going to have the money next season, or and we're not going to have the money two seasons from now. It's just too ridiculous to contemplate blowing up our entire wage structure again, putting all of the eggs in our basket, eggs that we probably don't even have. We're still going to put them in a basket for a guy who might not even fit the way we want to play football. It's. It, yeah. I mean, gosh. I completely agree. That's, that's why I, the part I do walk back is that the numbers that you're seeing for Holland, that's impossible. Unless there's some kind of deal where he's willing to take a reasonable number for a number nine. If he's willing to go Robert Lewandowski wages, then it's fine, but he's, it's, it's, you're right. You're right. It's very unrealistic to think that. And so you're right. Pedri, okay, Fati, so, those are the priorities here. So none of what for, for argument's say sake let's say let's say Riola says well you know Barca can have him not for 50 but for 25 that's mm -hmm. still ridiculous that's still not a good move you, you have him for 25 now uh two years later uh you're going to end up renewing him for 45 uh, yep. every, every, everybody else on the team 
wants to get close to that number as well. Again, for somebody that we might not even want. Uh, what I think is very interesting, and people just ignore it, is that um, Manchester City wants Kane. Manchester City had the money for for Haaland. They could have signed him if they if they wanted wanted him. They don't really need Grealish because they have tons of players in that position. What they needed was a nine. They could have signed Haaland. It would have been relatively straightforward to them. Um, however, and I, I do believe that Haaland is a better striker than Kane. However, Kane fits their system better. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the same for, for Barcelona. I, and I want neither Kane nor Haaland. But yeah, right, right. Okay, that, so... Okay, so realistically, obviously, this window, Barcelona weren't even asking or sniffing around Erlen Holland. Instead, they got, I think they got one better in Luke de Jong. I, I, I mean, I say that jokingly, but yeah, so Luke de Jong is on the way instead of Erlen Holland. No worries here. I said this on the Transfer Recap YouTube video I did yesterday, and this is kind of what I stand by, that in the state that the club is in, for the complaints about, I understand the idea of prestige, that the idea that Martin Brothwaite and Luke de Jong are on FC Barcelona leading that line, or at least are two of the five players in that forward attack, let's say. Because I think the, 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 the central idea now is that if, if Fati, if Memphis, and if Dembele are healthy, that is your front three. We'll see how Demir does. And then you also have Brothwaite and de Jong. So thinking of them on the depth chart in that way, and you don't know where Coutinho will fit in the left wing either. So viewing it in that lens, that's fine with that's your whatever seven, but just considering that they're not going to hopefully be in that best 11 or whatever it is, you know what I mean? The gala 11, if mm-hmm. everyone were to hypothetically be healthy in this world. So if I'm saying that Luke de Young was brought in to be an upgrade on Ray Minaj instead of to have to replace Messi plus Griezmann, or I mean, Messi and Griezmann, it was all financial. That shows you the state that Barcelona is in at the moment financially. And Luke de Young is merely just a talent upgrade on Ray Minaj because that's what the, the club could afford. So trying to view Luke de Young through that lens, I, I think is, is a lot healthier at least than to do it and assume that he's going to be, I mean, even the player that he was for PSV at 112 goals and 204 appearances for PSV alongside Memphis, ironically enough, 19 and 94 for Sevilla. And the worrying ones is earlier in his career, zero in 12 appearances for Newcastle. And obviously English media controls everything. So, you know, his time in Newcastle, those 12 matches is going to define his mm-hmm. whole career. And then in Borussia Mönchengladbach, when he was a young player, it was eight and 45 goals. But I think the more recent stat here is he has had 10 goals in his last 70 appearances for Sevilla, but he started this year as third on that depth chart. Does that worry you at all that they're getting a player? Not, I mean, when Martin Brothwaite was picked from Leganes, at least he was their starting number nine. Are you worried that getting Luke de Jong as third on the Sevilla depth chart is, I mean, what's the point? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano. Or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. (coughs) Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough, and as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. I think there's a really big problem here. And that is when, whenever I see Luke de Jong's face, I just want to vomit. It sounds like a you problem. <laughs> yeah. No, but, you should get that checked are, out. Ask a doctor. Like, <laughs> me, me problems are the biggest problem in the world, uh, Dan. Like, you know, there's nothing worse than me problems. And yeah, so how, how I'm going to live with this? Because I, I absolutely cannot stand the guy. H- having said that, I would not want to have him as an opponent either for exactly the same reason. I can't stand Luke de Jong. Everything about him annoys me. Well, you um, got to give it details on playing-wise, playing style. Give us details. What is it about his stuff with the Dutch national team that you support? Or Annoying. His, his like- playing style is, an, is, is annoying. He, he goes out there with the purpose to annoy. And that, that is actually good about him because, you know, it's... It's very irritating to be annoyed uh, when you play against somebody. Yeah. So he, he, will, he will constantly elbow you. You know, he'll he'll constantly like make you uncomfortable. He's incredibly strong in the air. So uh, that that is also frustrating uh, for 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 defenders. Uh, I think it's hilarious how for I think it was two seasons ago for Sevilla he he scored against Manchester United. He scored uh, against Inter in, in the final. He scored against Atletico and he scored against, uh, against Madrid. If he does that for Barca, he's going to end his career a cult hero. 
Mm-hmm. You know, so so there there is like a small chance that this is going to work out well. And the other thing about about it is we're not even paying his full wages. Right. It's it, it's a one season loan uh, with no obligation whatsoever to to continue with him. So uh, I I think a lot has been made in the past about, for example, Boateng who came for one million or. Uh, Jason Murillo was the same. Just Jason Murillo, the Colombian window, yeah. guy from Valencia, who, who who came. I never really understood uh, understood the problem there because it's uh, you're not going to lose anything by putting this guy on the squad. In case it works, great. In case it doesn't, you're not stuck with the contract. You're rid of him after one season. I mean, that is. That is not a problem for me. So uh, yeah. even though I'm I'm annoyed by Luke De Jong, I don't think that you know he's uh, he's the kind of quality player that we want at the club, given the situation that we are in, and given that everything points towards this being one or two uh, transition years. I don't mind. It's okay. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah, you brought up a lot of good points, especially at the end. That I, I think for what he brings in terms of his playing style, it's just it's a bit different as a traditional number nine. Ironically enough. Griezmann is gone, so we can't play off our traditional number nine, unfortunately. But Coutinho is returning, and Coutinho might play well off of him, as he has with traditional number nines in the past. Same thing with his partnership with Memphis. I don't want to overplay that, but that might be a good positive thing. And then just adding that different wrinkle, being an experienced striker next to Fatih, taking a bit of that pressure. That way, Fatih doesn't have to be, you know, we know that he isn't the, you know, the, the mean guy, right? He's not the, that's not his character. He's not that guy. Mm-hmm. And he'll stand up for himself, but, you know, he's not going to. He's not going to stir the pot like Luke de Young will and be a distraction while Fati is is coming at you, right? So if you're being distracted by Luke de Young, but you always have to keep one eye on to Fati, that's a good position for Fati to be in. So yeah, I mean, I, I don't think he's going to wow anybody at all. And I think the point with Kevin Prince Boateng as compared to this is that when Prince Boateng was brought in, it was when the club was still operating with that financial hubris under Bartomeu. When he kept saying everything is fine and every all the books were secret and it was that, oh, Barcelona are way better than the level that Chris Kevin Prince Boateng is at. And there was that belief. There was that, again, that, that hubris. But I think with everything the club is going through financially, Kool-Aid's have been humbled in that way, that, that Barcelona, they shouldn't have a player of Kevin Prince Boateng or even a Luke de Young status. However, they need a Luke de Young at this moment because of the financial picture you're in. You don't lose Messi because you're okay. And it, it lets you know that they're in a bad spot at the moment. But to, right. to make 70 million euros, this, to, I mean, a positive 70 million euros, which is, I think, the best, best transfer window that the club has had in years and years and years, because they always wind up spending uh, plus 13 million in variables. The biggest thing, obviously, is getting off the wage bills, you know, and you look at the transfer window as a total, you can go in whatever direction you want to hear. You, you could go Emerson here, you can go Griezmann if you want, but I think it all starts and ends with Messi. We will always remember as much as it was a summer when they offloaded as much money as they could, Messi leaving for free. It just, it dictates the whole conversation and having to force him out is what we should understand this moment to be. It's a, it's a bad place to be, but as long as you get through the darkest times and the, the only fear is that these, it is possible this team to succeed based on the expectations and the club still being in a very, very financially bleak state. So that is the optimistic part of that, that Memphis, it, even with the club with, with $0, as long as he's registered, he can still score goals and PK is still around and Fatih is still under contract at the moment. Pedri is still under contract. So the team itself could still have good results regardless of the very, very financially bleak situation. The only problem comes next summer, even 
when the club is forced to sell Pedri or De Jong or Fati. But I, I, for me to say that Messi's gone, that Griezmann was, you know, that loan with the 40 million obligation to buy, that even Pjanic was able to get his wages for this summer. It seems, Levon, that with the great debt the club is in, they're going to at least that, I don't know. I'm almost stuttering on the words to try to get this out, but this feels like the darkest hour. I know that these hours have all been darkest, but how is Messi leaving in this situation? Not the darkest hour. Uh, I mean, I I don't know. I mean, if you tell me that uh, next summer we have to sign, uh, sell Frankie de Jong or Pedri, then that, that is going to be darker than, than this. Cause that would be admitting that, Hey, not only uh, are we giving up on the present, we're giving up on the future. So if if that came to pass, that would be infinitely more painful to me. And thank God that we have a president who does not sell Frankie de Jong to keep Messi for two more years, as painful as it is to lose Messi. I think the biggest question here that I have, and um, a lot of people don't even ask that question because they're just upset and they're convinced that they know the answer. The biggest question that I have is... Would it have been possible to keep Messi? If so, at what cost? And my follow-up question to that would be, would keeping Messi really have meant that we would have guaranteed the extra income that people say that Messi generates to, to offset the cost? These, these, are some, these are things that I simply cannot wrap my head around, not only because I don't really have the information, the club does publish the the financial numbers year by year uh, but that honestly most of us are not skilled enough at taking that information understanding it uh, knowing what what uh, what the possibilities are going forward and and so on and so on and I'll I'll readily admit that we do not know this we don't know if it were, if it were possible uh, or if it had been possible to keep messy or not yeah and I look at it very cynically moving forward in terms of even the Emerson deal. To me, that one is much more telling even than the Griezmann deal or the Pianist deal or uh, any of the other ones, Alenia or Tadebo or Junior Firpo or the free transfer of Miranda. So, I mean, there's, mm-hmm. there's a whole list of the players that, that left. And for Because to- right, there's I hardly think, any benefit. Right, right. At, this, at the start of the summer, Emerson was one of those rare examples where they wouldn't, that being Barcelona, would not have brought him in for $9 million if there was not expectation that he would be kept or the expectation that this would happen where a club like Tottenham would say, Hey, 75 million with add-ons. That means you're going to pocket. And I've seen different numbers here. So we don't know the exact accounting, but it could be as low as 6 million euros have been pocketed by Barcelona for this deal. Just after having to pay Real Betis 9 million mm-hmm. plus Betis taking a fraction of the 25 million with add-ons that Tottenham would uh, is providing for the, for this deal. So it could be as low as 6 million, but even 6 million for a player that, I mean, you're basically making a profit off him no matter what, right? There was no loss mm-hmm. on that because of what they even initially had made an investment on. It's just having an investment come to fruition, right? It's like in right. the U.S. for those United States fans, um, you know, if you ever have a CD, right, a certificate of deposit, like, I mean, those don't help you much. <laughs> the rates there are like 3% or whatever. But having money in a CD and then taking that out for five years or 10 years, you still get something. Did it change your life? <laughs> I mean, you could have used that money elsewhere. You, it could have gone farther or as in if Emerson had played for Barca, he might have done better as that six million might get you. But at the moment, Barcelona needs the six million. So it's like I only bring that CD to fruition when I truly need that money. And then I take out, you know what I mean? And then that small exactly. benefit winds up being a small benefit, um, exactly. I, which yeah. is different than the, than the Griezmann deal. But yeah, go on the Emerson. 
no, um, you, you hit the nail on the head. The fact that they did it for so, so little money, where um, uh, everybody thinks that you know the upside to keeping Emerson uh, is a lot higher than than selling him. Because if you wait for one year, then you don't have to split part of that um, uh, that fee with with Betis. If if you still decide to sell him, uh, you might decide not to sell him, and and so on and so on. What what I think is very interesting when we're looking at uh, what has happened this summer, and I don't think we have to rehash every single transfer. We can if you mm-hmm. want. But what, what what I think is more interesting is okay, are we within that seventy percent salary cap right yeah. now? I we are, or are we not? I mean, at the moment, you'd assume that the club now that with, with even with Pianos gone, I mean, I would assume Griezmann was the thing that brought them under the threshold. But a reminder that if Messi had stayed, they wouldn't be under 70 percent. And right, even, but, but if it, with Griezmann and Messi gone, I assume they would have to be under the 70 percent. Because even looking know. at that, I, I there's a list that always comes out on social media about the salary mm-hmm. structure. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how believable that number is. It, it doesn't. It's not. Right, right. So that like, can we assume that? So, I mean, as far as what we assume that Coutinho and Umtiti makes, even getting them off the, the structure doesn't matter at all, right? Do you need to remove Busquets, even at his reduced rages? I guess it, things are moving so quickly. We don't know after PK, Busquets, and Alba have all taken their salary decrease. You've gotten most of the wages of Antoine Griezmann off the books. Messi's salary has been freed up, and you've also made those transfers out. So, right. I mean, and, and lost what little wages those, I mean, some of those players made. So you'd okay, assume well, that they're under 70% at the moment. It, it's all. It's, if anything, it's they couldn't have they couldn't have registered Aguero and Memphis if they were top ten earners on the team and they're under seventy percent. Or am I? If I'm, I'm, I'm no, no, saying that because, no, because you have the four four to one rule. Mm. If you're over seventy, if you're over seventy percent, as long as right. you save, then for every four million four euros that you save, uh, you get to spend one. So um, by bringing people's salaries down, that counted towards the savings, which then allowed us to spend money on on those new yeah. salaries what we do know is with messi we were at 110 percent because laporta said this then when he left i think we were at 95 percent. that's still 25 percent. so um if messi is 15 percent, is griezmann and pianitz and uh who else have we sold since messi left emerson well uh, i mean i'm, I'm also looking the salary reductions we knew that pk Busquets, and alba those three were top mm-hmm. six earners. So if they took right. these huge decreases, I think plus Griezmann, you could get 25% down there. Mm-hmm. I think okay. that is possible. And it didn't the young and Ter Stegen also take salary reductions they, last they, they already took them. Yeah. Right. Like on, last on, season on plus my way. Yeah. So yeah, with right. those reductions, you'd assume they've gone under 70. But we're also talking about two different things. The wage bill is not necessarily the same thing as the 1.2 billion euros of debt that the club finds itself in. Those are two different things. And those the are two different things. Right. And the 1.2 billion in debt that could, could also deal with future problems like selling a de Young because you have to make sure you make those short-term payments on the Goldman Sachs loan that's coming in for what, 650 million euros or something. So you're, there's a difference between that, those, those sums of money from transfers that need to go towards paying debt and the club structuring the team on the field by getting the wage bill down. And it okay. seems like at the present time, another big loan that does worry you for the next 10 years or whatever from a golden tax or something, that alleviates one short-term problem. And if those pay cuts and all the, 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 all the rigmarole and darkness that we went through with players leaving and having to loan players and yada, 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 if that got the wage bill down, in theory, Barcelona is at, a, a, is, is at 
they did the right thing. At the moment, Laporta, you could consider that the smallest success you possibly could because mm-hmm. no larger problem. If, 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 this, if that winds up financially being the big problem that happened, it, just by kicking the can a little bit down the road by understanding those problems. But then the, 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 where, where it kind of gets wackadoodle here, Levon, is how much can we truly trust what the club's going to do forward? How much credence do we put in those Danny Olmo rumors, right? That 75 million is insane, but I don't think we put much in them. But at what point is a club going to look at itself and say on the field to make that commercial revenue, we need to get another talent to not only sell jerseys, obviously, but to just financially bolster our name once more. And okay. if, if Fati doesn't wind up being that superstar that they would need him to be, or Pedri is that superstar that you need him to be. Well, I mean, for, um, let's, let's take it one step at a time. So let, let's look at next summer. We've got the wages down. Also, next summer, uh, the income will be higher than this season. It's not going to be as high as we want it to be because yeah. um, stadiums are not going to be full the, the whole season. Heck, on my season ticket, I'm not even paying for anything because I paid last season. So, you know, the club told us, well, you know, everything that you missed last season, those matches you, you get for free this season. So on, on the season ticket holders, the club is earning uh, very little, uh, besides the fact that 25,000 season ticket holders have uh, paused their, their tickets because people are in financial uh, distress. However, our income will have grown. One thing that I like about this summer is that um, Trincao, we're going to get that money one year from now, those 29 million. Uh, Griezmann, we will most likely get 40 million for Griezmann one year from now. So even before selling anybody next summer, that's already 70 million incoming. Yep. So that first Goldman Sachs payment, we've got that. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, we couldn't excite anybody though. Like I understand as fans, like, I mean, like the, the, the club that you support giving, uh, basically paying a bill <laughs> to Goldman Sachs. I understand that you're not hoot and hollering, ordering a beer and hugging your family because FC Barcelona, you know, made a payment <laughs> to, to, to Goldman Sachs. I totally understand that from a fan base perspective and how it feels like, oh, we, we lost Messi for what? So the club can make a, a payment to, to whatever it is. But the, the important thing, and this goes back to the soul of the club, that the important thing is that the club is continuing to be run and voted on by socios, is continuing yep. to be run in the same way it's run. And that, that is, to me, what always winds up being the important thing, that Barcelona, throughout their history, remember in the days of Nunez, at the turn of the century when there was also a bunch of Dutch players in the team. You know, things got very dark there for a while, both financially, commercially, as, as world football was reaching, its, was reaching a global audience, La Liga was still a little bit behind. They were getting caught up. Uh, and Barcelona at that time, yeah, they had Rivaldo, but they didn't really. There were those two or three years where they didn't really have a, you know, mega, mega, mega star until here comes Ronaldinho in 2003. Uh, well, I mean, I don't know. They had, well, they, I mean, I, I know you say no to that, but. I mean, that, that Rivaldo. That Rivaldo and Kluivert playing together for crying out loud. Like, they, they, had, they had huge stars. What they did not have is a, was, a, was a very well functioning team. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess um, because, they have... because after after Figo left, Gaspar spent a lot of money on, on on players that were just not good enough, and because yeah. he was afraid that they would uh, they would leave immediately, he yeah, gave yeah. him like Mark... huge contracts from from the get go. Yeah, Mark Overmars um, was a failure. Right, right. There were yeah. like yeah, there were there were transfers that didn't work out. And yeah, and it's no disrespect to Clover. I just for me in where I was living in the United States, Clover just wasn't one of the global stars at that time that I. That I, that I knew about. So yeah, that's, that's my American bias, if anything, not against Clover, just that I hadn't heard of him, but um, yeah. But then again, to keep the point though, is that to keep the soul of the club, 
Barcelona are going to have to go through some dark ages just because they do not have a bottomless pit of money. They, when we can see the financial reports of where that money is coming from, there's no, there's no, you know, gigantic shell company called Mm -hmm. whatever it's called. You know what I mean? Like, you know, Delta Alliance Incorporated, whatever, right. That, oh, they, they provided the club 20% of their funds. You know, that's not, (laughs) there's no shell company. Barcelona in those annual reports, you can see where that money comes from. And I know it's going to get dark here, but you're right, Levon. Like I, and able to consider this transfer window a success if the club moving forward doesn't have to mortgage the, the future anyway. And even then, <laughs> did the club do everything they could in this window to potentially you know, circumvent this getting even worse? If this is the darkest day, that's what we can live with. Same thing with even people seem to be out of Ronald Koeman, but if Ronald Koeman is the coach through this time because he's accepted to be the manager through the darkest days, I think he'll be remembered much more fondly than people look at him from match to match. I mean, it's also the internet, so people are harder on him than they should be. But how many managers would sign up for this? Would you want to sign up to be? I mean, I I used to be an assistant coach on a team, and him and I, for three years, we got one win at our big postseason tournament, which is not good enough. When I was playing for that same team seven, eight years ago, we averaged three to four wins every tournament. And so in in three years, as, as coaches... We, you know, we, it was averaging one win a year. And so we said either they need a different voice or that we need needed something has to change here and we might be part of the problem. And so, I mean, I'm hoping that the program does better after me, but you know, even me, like I looked at myself and said, Hey, I don't want to be the man, the coach here during some of the darkest days. Right. I didn't have the courage to, to, to see it through before they, they, they got better. So I think Kuman is in a tough spot. I, I think if, if not for the fact that the club's like, Hey, play Pooj and he's not playing Pooj. And then we're doing the pushing again. I don't want to do that. So bigger picture about Kuman. I, I just, I have a hard time like really, really giving it to him because do you think, I mean, he's not the manager who's going to win a Champions League at Barcelona, but he's the manager for now. I, I just think it's incredible. Like I, I never wanted Kuman at the club. I never really thought much of him uh, as a coach, but to see the amount of shh he has to put up with to, to see to join this club, there's no money. Um, he's the first one to say, you know what, my salary, don't worry about it. It's going to happen whenever it's going to happen. And he sends that message to the players. He's doing that two years in a row, by the way. He wants players. He doesn't get them. Messi leaves. Griezmann leaves. Be- believe me, Griezmann leaving is a nightmare for a coach because Griezmann is such a good player and he does so many things that people don't want to recognize hell most fans don't even want to recognize the goals that he does score um of the 35 goals that Griezmann scored you know 28 were either opening goals or goals that gave us the lead but all that people complain about is that he's not decisive (laughs) it's it's ridiculous yeah does he have some bad matches uh he does but for Kuman to have to put up with that, for Kuman to then kind of be humiliated in the summer by the president who says he doesn't want him and then ends up saying, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll keep him. I don't think that Kuman is poorly treated by the club per se, um, but I do think it is incredibly clear that Laporta, seeing what the situation is, says, well, you know, this, this is a poison chalice. Nobody's going to want to drink it. I'm going to give it to the club legends. He drinks it. He says, thank you. He plays all these young players that may or may not win him games. And he helps us prepare for the future. Is he the best coach? No. He's not Tuchel. He's not Nagelsmann. He's not a young Pep Guardiola. He's not Xavi, who is unproven, but still, he's not Xavi. 
No, he is not. He, he is not one of the top 50 coaches of Europe. But we could do worse. You yeah. know, we, we, have, we have somebody who is willing to help the club any way he can. And he loves the club. And all that, um, especially English Barca Twitter does, is insult him, whine about him, complain about him, uh, act as if uh, all of us uh, are 10 times as smart uh, as, as him. It's just absurd. It's, you, know what I, you know what I read the other day on Twitter? Somebody blaming him for Elias leaving. I mean, it'd be the opposite. We're only upset that Elias is leaving because of Kuman. Yeah, yeah, it's the opposite. <laughs> because Kuman, Kuman actually gave that kid a shot when, yeah. when half of the people had maybe seen uh, a 10-second yeah. clip of him well, uh, on, on, on Twitter once. I mean, even know? me, I, honestly, covering Barca B, watching every match last year, I didn't think he was ready for that me, jump me, yet. Me, I mean, me neither. The same thing with me this neither. year. If, uh, with, I mean, I saw the Champions League came out today, the list, and then Alejandro Balde, Nico Gonzalez, and Gabi, which unsurprisingly, those were the three that were given Champions League numbers. If Alejandro Balde, who at this point, is somewhere probably talent-wise or as, as far as being prepared for physical competition is somewhere between Juvenal A and Barca B. Not Barca B in the first team. Between Juvenal A, which he is registered with this year, Gabi and uh, Alejandro Balde should be with Juvenal A. But they're not only with Barca B, but likely with the first team. Mm-hmm. And if Balde plays this year, that is a compliment to Kuman and trusting him and, and trying to figure out how he can learn. And I, I think as far as... Yeah, it, it goes to hindsight as well, that... One of my biggest indictments, and this is where we'll end the show here, that one of my biggest indictments of Ernesto Valverde was that he got results. That wasn't the problem. Even the way he played, it was based on the squad he had. My problem was that from day one to the end of the season, I just couldn't look at individual players and say, hey, they became better. Like, did I ever think Enel Semedo improved at Barcelona? I thought he was a very similar player and some things worked, some things didn't, but I don't. I didn't see him take the jump under Valverde. There was just, I can't think of a player under Valverde that took that step forward. They played in the system and they got good results. And it's a compliment to the coach that he was able to navigate all that with the pressure that he was under. But for Kuman, I am very interested in seeing from day one to the end of a season, how these young players progress. And it's a lot easier with young players to figure out how they get from A to B and how they get better. I mean, I keep bringing him up, but I do with Serginho Dest. Now that Emerson is gone, there is no question that if Sergino Dest is going to be the long-term, long-term right back at FC Barcelona, he has to improve in certain ways. And if Kuman mm-hmm. can get him to be a better player, I'm going to say it's, a, it's not only is it a, a positive for Kuman, but I'm going to look at all the different players and see if Pedri improves, he's one of the top 10 midfielders in the world. Easy. But he is, still has things to improve on and work on. If, if he can turn Fati into a star, think mm-hmm. of the job that we're going to consider Kuman doing in that context as opposed to having him put on a bunch of defenders to get three points against Adafe. In the moment when we watch a match, we feel like we're just in that match. And that says everything we need to know. No, the club has no money and he, it's a young squad that's learning. So I want to see what it looks like from August to May. May, we'll come out with the report cards and we'll figure that out. But Levon, you'll be here with me all season long. I'll give you the final word here if you have any. Yeah, please. Final two points and then we'll get out. I have a question. Let's, let's see if, if we, uh, we align on this. Hmm. Two players who improved enormously under uh, under Kuman and Schroeder. I'm going to name his assistant manager as well because I'm not sure if it's just Kuman helping these uh, these players get better. But, Do you want me to guess? Uh, I'll, yeah. I mean, I, one of them is definitely Ron Araujo. I think he's taken such a step forward from what I saw with Barca B. I mean, Garcia Pimienta did a good job with him, but he's easily a first team defender. He mm-hmm. just 
it's, it's so solid. So for me, Arah would be the first one. And then two, I'd actually say Frankie DeYoung. He, when he showed up, he looked like he sort of fit and we knew he was a really good player at Ajax. But now here this season, it seems like Frankie DeYoung is ready to take on that responsibility and that mantle. So, I mean, I'm not looking at the squad list right now, but those are the first two that I just, that I feel like improved. Not that Pedri, not Fati that came on the scene firing that actually just from when we first saw them to now under Ronald Koeman. Is it the you're same two for you? You're forgetting the biggest one. Who, who, who is the player who everybody is frustrated about? Because for all the years under, under Balverde, he passed balls to his opponents all the time. He did not track back. He would dribble five meters too far and find himself uh, almost in the crowd. Uh, and who became tactically a lot smarter on, under Koeman? Well, I think it was helpful that Usmani Dembele was finally healthy last season too, more than he'd ever been. I think that was a big help because he I'd, prior to that, the last two years, he had not had seven straight weeks of health before last season. So I, I think his health was a big part of it. He finally found his footing, but you're right. I can't argue that, that he was healthy and you're right defensively, which is where I always had my issues with him. Not even offensive. I think you take the good with the bad, which is what he can give you. But defensively, you're right. He found, and this season will be even more so that when he comes back mm -hmm. without Griezmann, Without Griezmann, Dembele is going to have to defend like his life depends on it against Kadith, against Granada, against, right? He's going to have to game in and game out defend. Um, and those big matches when he'll really have to show up. But you're right. Even against PSG last season in that second leg, the defensive hit job that he did alongside Des on that right side on Kylian Mbappe, I mean, you couldn't ask for, for something better in that, in that draw. He Not was, the first he, match, the second match. He, he was in the middle in that game. Oh, he was in number nine, right. So, I mean, yeah. I think he's still defended e either way. Mm -hmm. But but I, I think also on the ball, he just became a lot more, uh, a lot faster, he, uh, a lot smarter. He made a lot better decisions when he had the ball under Kuman as well. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the argument that people say that Kuman does not improve players, I'm sorry, I've seen players improve. Does that mean that it's down to Kuman? Difficult to say. Let's see yeah. what happens this year as well. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of managers that haven't won the Champions League. I just throw that out there. Just there's, It's a difficult, weird trophy to win where one injury can derail your season and you could also not be the best team to win it. So I, I said it many, many times. All right, so we're international break time. As you know, with the transfer recap video I came out with yesterday and the, right, boring for everyone, as, as LeVon let us know. Yeah, it's it's transfer window time. So we're not taking a break. We're, we're keeping at it. And then again, I have the number 10 video on YouTube. Watch that. You can check out the transfer recap where I went through all the Alenyas and all the, the little ones that we even spoken about in this transfer window about those players and their futures. I spoke about that. Apparently also there's future sale percentages, whether it was 40% on Conrad de la Fuente. I think it was very similar number to Carlos Alenya. Those are really good figures to get. I know the big transfer sum of 3 million or whatever they 6 million or whatever it was for Lenya. I know the big numbers don't wow you, but the future sale percentages that Barca been able to get is not something that we saw against uh, under Bartomeu. And I'm really happy with the way that this, that uh, Alemani has been able to negotiate some of that. But anyway, that's it. Twitter, Instagram, you can find me, but more importantly on Twitter, find Barcelev, find Levan, listen to him. And then Patreon, We've gotten a bunch of new Patreons since the season began. Thank you so much to all of them. And it's also a little way to support the show out on Patreon and continue to make those. So again, YouTube, match reviews, all that stuff, the Barcelona podcast, you know where to go. Thanks so much for listening to the show. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon in Forza Barca. Peace, Calabasa. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. 
If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.